actually, I, I think I didn't realize quite how much God was on what I've prepared. Sometimes you don't until you bring it, and you're like, oh gosh, I think this is actually significant. So I did feel like what God has given me to prepare is actually really significant for us as a church family, and uh, really expecting that God is going to shift something in us, and um, are you guys expectant? It feels like you are, so that's really good. Don't want to come every week and just be like, oh yeah, oh yeah, now it's the preach. Just want us to, to urge us to expect God to change our hearts, and um, as, as Paul said, just to reiterate, if you're a visitor here this morning, uh, we hope you feel really at home with us. We love having visitors among us. Uh, to, also to say, if you're, not, if you're not yet a Christian, you're kind of working out if God is really real and where you stand with that, then you are so welcome with us. I really just hope that you have encountered God this morning already and that you really meet with him and know his love. And uh, it's amazing to be in relationship with him. So I just want to welcome you and hope you feel really at home with us. Um, as, uh, as PJ said, I'm going to be speaking now on the last uh, part of our worship series. We've been feeling as a church that we needed to really hone in on looking at what it means to worship God. Um, we've had prophetic words about this being a season of worship and wonder. And uh, we've been uh, looking through the life of David to, to, to find some keys really for us to learn what it looks like to live lives of worship. And um, this, this morning, I am going to be speaking about the fact that part of our worship is about living in such a way so that we create the best possible spiritual inheritance for those who come after us to, to have. I'm, I'm going to talk about the fact that part of our worship is living in such a way that we leave the best possible spiritual inheritance for the generations that come after us. And that our worship of God is not just about our individual life or even the life of our immediate family, but actually it's about impacting the generations that are going to come after us. And so we are going to be camping out in 1 Chronicles, uh, chapter 28 and 29. We're going to dip in and out of there. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to turn there, please do. Um, but let me just pray for us. Is that okay? Yeah, Father, I just thank you that you, um, you're so big, you're so huge, God, and your, your plans and purposes for us as individuals and us as a church are bigger than we realize. And I just pray, Father, that as I speak this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would come and uh, enlarge our thinking. I pray you'd enlarge our thinking of, of who you've called us to be and what you've called us to do. And I pray that you would make us a church family who live our lives in such a way that we provide the best possible spiritual inheritance for our kids and their kids. In Jesus' name, I pray, speak to us, God. I pray, lift our eyes off of ourselves in this moment, God. I pray you'd give us eyes to see uh, future generations and what is possible when we pay a price today. God, I pray, help us to see what you see, Father, I pray. Amen. All right. So, um, towards the end of David's life, we, we read about him, him talking about that he had it in his heart to build a temple for God. Um, you know, last week Simon spoke about the Ark of the Covenant, where the presence of God was, represented the presence of God, and, and how uh, David was keen to bring the presence of God back into the center of things. Well, we read in 1 Chronicles 28 that he had it in his heart to build a temple for the Ark of the Covenant. But we also read that God says to him, actually, David, you're not going to be the one to build the temple. Your son, Solomon, is going to build the temple. And I just love David's response because rather than getting annoyed about the fact that this thing he carried in his heart, this dream, he was never going to see the fulfillment of, what we actually see David doing is um, uh, 
taking up a massive offering to enable Solomon to build the temple really easily. The temple that he will never see. David takes up this massive offering so that his son Solomon can fulfill the dream that has been in David's heart easily. And so David, David is living with the next generation in mind. His worship of God uh, in, involved massive personal sacrifice so that the generations that came after him could step into stuff more easily. And I don't know about you, but I want my worship of God to look like that. I want to worship God in such a way so that I live my life fighting as many battles in the spirit as possible to see the generations that come after me step into stuff easily. That is, that's what I want to do. And I, I, um, I, I want to be someone who, who pays the price now so that the people who come after me don't have to fight those battles. They'll have their own battles to fight. But what I don't want is for them to have to fight the battles I've already fought. And um, actually, Bill Johnson puts it like this. I really love this quote. He says that um, true success isn't what you accomplish in your lifetime. True success is based on what your descendants or those you pour into accomplish because of you. And so I just want to ask the question this morning and for us to think together as a church family, how do we worship with the next generations in mind? How do we live our lives not just thinking about our own stuff and our own calling and our own things. How do we live our lives thinking about the next generation who is going to come after us and the generations after them? I think there's three main lessons we can learn from David. So the first one is this. I think the first thing we need is to know what's in our hearts and to have a plan. In 1 Chronicles 28 verse 2, David says this, I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God, and I made preparations for building. David knew what was in his heart, and he made a plan for it to happen. Actually, the truth is, guys, that every single one of us in this church family is called to have a significant role to play in the purposes of God on the earth. Every single person in this room has a significant role to play in making Jesus famous, in seeing his kingdom break out wherever we go, um, in seeing businesses impacted, um, towns impacted, workplaces impacted, families impacted. It will look different for all of us, but all of us are called to significant stuff. Turn to the person next to you, shake them gently and say, you are called to be significant or something like that. Shake them gently. All of us, all of us guys are called to be significant. And so, all of us are called to be significant. But I felt as I was preparing that, God said he wanted me to focus in on the legacy that we want to leave together as a church family. So there'll be lots of individual legacies that are left because of what God God calls us to. But I felt like he wanted me to focus in on as King's Arms Church family, what is the legacy we want to leave for the next generation and the generations after? Because actually, if we think about what we want to leave together, the impact of all of us running after stuff together is going to be much bigger than one individual on their own. I just wondered, when was the last time you sat down to think about, oh, what would, what would I love the King's Arms legacy to be? I haven't thought much about it. But I feel like God wants us to think about it as a church family because we are a family together and we are called to dream big together. 
And so I wonder, what, what kind of legacy do we want to leave? What kind of inheritance do we want to give away to the generations that are coming after us? Well, I could, I could pick up a whole load of stuff. I mean, I think one of the legacies we would want to leave is an expectation to see the most broken and vulnerable people in society coming through to a place of dignity and influence. And I think that's the, the King's Arms Project and many other people in areas of social justice are paving a way for that. And we're beginning to see that happen. People who are the most broken coming into a place of dignity and influence. I just think I want to leave that for the next generation for them to think, well, that's normal. It's normal for the most broken people to be the most influential. And that'd be amazing. I think another thing we want to leave as a church is the legacy of being able to interact with and relate to God as our Father. Before we did, heaven, before we did Father Heart conferences, we really didn't know what it was to relate to God as Father. We were just a whole bunch of orphans thinking that we knew what we were doing. And we just, we just didn't have the connection with God as our Father. And God is beginning to do stuff in our hearts and change how we relate to Him. And I think one of the legacies we want to leave for the next generation is for them to think, well, of course I connect with God as Father. He's my dad. And just knowing that instinctively, knowing that that's how you relate to God. I think another thing is to do with our culture. We've been banging on about culture for the last three, four, five years. And I think we want to leave a legacy whereby the culture of the kingdom is impacting businesses and workplaces and education and media and the arts and politics. Then the next generation will think, well, of course God is going to break into my business. Of course God is going to break into the school I'm teaching in because the guys before saw it happen. And I know for me, one of the things I really live with is this desire to see everybody who knows Jesus realizing they are called to bring God's kingdom wherever they go. Now, every single believer is equipped and called by God to see the sick healed and, and the lost saved and the spiritually oppressed set free and those who need comfort receiving it and those who need joy getting it. I, I'm just passionate about seeing every believer realize that is their mandate because I can see the impact it could have if every single one of us in this church realized this is what we were called to do, how quickly Bedford would be impacted, how quickly Milton Keynes would be impacted, how quickly we would have influence. And I, I want to see it, not just for our, our church, but for every church in this nation. Can you imagine if every Christian in this nation knew that wherever they went, they, they were to listen out to the Holy Spirit, to, to, to hear what he wanted them to say and do to people around them, to offer to pray, to speak about Jesus. How quickly would the place be impacted? And for me, it's not just about this nation, but it's the nations of the world. I want to see churches in the nations of the world realizing this is what you're called to. And, you know, I think, I think you can work out if you're living with the next generations in mind if what is in your heart that you long to see is, is too much for you to achieve in your lifetime. I'll say that again. I think you can, you can know if you're living with the next generations in mind if what is in your heart is too big for you to achieve in your lifetime. You can fight your own battles here to see breakthrough, but then you've got to pass it on for the next generation. What we, what we long to see, guys, is meant to be big, because God is big. And uh, actually, <laughs> thanks, Tony. I, we, you know what, we're already seeing this inheritance bubbling away, you know. I think we're already seeing the breakthrough of some battles we fought being passed on to our kids. You know, it's very normal for the kids to think, well, of course, if you pray, God will do something. Of course, you'll get healed if I pray for you. I just remind you guys that six or seven or eight years ago, we weren't seeing a thing. <laughs> you know, it's easy to think, well, we've always been like this. It wasn't like this. I can tell you, I was there. 
We weren't seeing anything, really. And yet, what happened was a few of us got a bit between our teeth and thought, this isn't right. We've got to see what God says in his word come about. And we just began to pray for the sick. We didn't really know what we were doing. We made loads of mistakes. Just every Sunday, we would pray for the sick by a piano in Day Malice School, where we used to meet. I remember it. Every Sunday. And then we began to see breakthrough. And we saw a back healed, and we'd be like, come on, there's a back been healed. And then we'd see knees healed, and then we'd see headaches disappear. And we would pray every week. We just went after it. And then we thought, we need to take this out of the street, onto the streets. And so a few of us thought, well, let's give it a go. And my gosh, it was terrifying. And uh, we made some major mistakes, and we didn't really know what we were doing. But again, we've learned as we've gone out on the streets, we now regularly are seeing people encounter God out on the streets. We're regularly seeing people encounter God in workplaces. We didn't used to. And what's fun is our kids are stepping into the inheritance that we fought for because they're seeing it regularly. I had a story just a couple of weeks ago of a guy in one of the kids' groups, one of the boys in the kids' groups, he'd injured his back doing a backflip on the trampoline and was in some pain. He wasn't able to join in some of the games because of the pain. So the, the kids all gathered around him and, and prayed, and, and they prayed once, and the pain went from a six to a four, and they prayed again, and it went from a four to a two, and they prayed again. I mean, this is amazing. They pr- kept praying until it happened. I mean, in the early days, we thought, can you pray more than once? I mean, we didn't even know. And, and so it went down to a one, and, and the pain totally went. And then they just carry on with their morning. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, that, that, that wasn't how it used to be. And we need to be, be celebrating what God is doing. And it's wonderful to see that already happening. But I just feel like there's a couple of areas of challenge for us as a church family as we go into the new season of, of, of living our lives to see an amazing inheritance for the next generation. And the first is this. I think we need to guard against over-familiarity of what God's doing. You know, when you, when you get to inherit something for free that you haven't paid a price for, it's very easy to become over-familiar with what God's doing. You know, when I see someone healed, I'm very quick to celebrate because I've paid a bit of a price to see it happen. I know what it's felt like to have to keep going after it. What we need to remember and to help our kids with and help the next generations with is whenever you see breakthrough, celebrate. It is amazing. Whenever God breaks in and brings healing, whenever he breaks in and speaks truth, whenever he brings comfort, whenever he comes and encounters anyone, celebrate your socks off. Let's not get over familiar with this, guys. Six or seven years ago, we didn't see a thing. We are now seeing it much more regularly. The danger is we become over-familiar. Ah, oh, it's just another healing. No, it's not just another healing. It's an individual receiving breakthrough. And I feel like a provocation, actually, even in my own heart, sometimes people will mention they've got a headache or a pain somewhere. I'm not as quick as I used to be to offer to pray because back in the day we weren't seeing it. You had to battle. And now I'm a bit like, oh, okay, be healed. A bit blasé. And I, I just want to, I just, I guess, say to you, I want to be much more intentional personally about actually if someone's ill, I want to pray for them with expectation, not like, oh, be healed in Jesus' name, but really pray that God would break in. And does that make sense? So that we've got to guard against over-familiarity. And I think the second challenge is that we need to not get comfortable. There are more battles to win. And I really feel like God is on this. I, 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 felt, I feel just personally very provoked about this particular point that we are already passing on a really incredible inheritance to our kids and, and it, will, it will go to other generations. We already have fought so many battles 
and we're already passing on an incredible inheritance. But guys, there are so much, there are so many more battles to fight, and there's so much more we can pass on. There is so much more we can pass on. It's easy to fall into thinking that because we can be seen as a church that's on the cutting edge of things in terms of the supernatural and other things, that we can kind of take our foot off the accelerator and sit back a bit. But we need to realize that there are more battles to be won. And I mean, I love that our kids automatically think, well, I can pray for backs and they'll be healed, and I pray for necks and they can be healed, I can pray for knees and it'll be easy. Do you know what? I want our kids to come into inheritance of thinking, I can pray for cancer and see it healed. I can pray for blind eyes and they'll open up. I can pray for deaf ears and they're just going to pop open. I want them to think it's easy to see depression broken off people's lives with the power of prayer. I want them to think mental health stuff doesn't have to be a hindrance to people because we can see breakthrough. The only reason they're going to step into that inheritance is if we keep going after that stuff now. We've got to keep going after that stuff now so that we get a better inheritance for our kids to step into. Does this make sense? I just feel like, I personally feel very provoked. I've got too comfortable. And when you're fighting for something the first time around, you really go for it, don't you? And you you achieve it, you get to where you want to be, and then you go, oh, brilliant, we're there. I feel like God's saying, no, no, it's another another wave of going after stuff now. So, there are more battles for us to win I guess the question is, what is it that burns in your heart? What are you going after? If you don't know yet, get some time with Jesus. Ask him what he's put in you. Get some time with friends. Talk about what makes you excited, what makes you frustrated. What do you want to see change in? And work out what is it you're living within your heart that you want to see changed. The second thing we need to ask is, do we have a plan? In, uh, In 1 Chronicles 28... Uh, It's amazing, actually. David is passing over to Solomon the plan that he has already worked out for the temple. And there's three paragraphs worth. I'm not going to read it all out, but it did make me laugh as I was reading it through. This is just some of the plan that David gave to Solomon. It says, Then David gave Solomon the plans for the temple and its surroundings, including the entry room, the storerooms, the upstairs rooms, the inner rooms, and the inner sanctuary, which was the place of atonement. David also gave Solomon all the plans he had in mind for the courtyards of the Lord's temple, the outside rooms, the treasuries, and the rooms with the gifts dedicated to the Lord. The king also gave Solomon the instructions concerning the work of the various divisions of priests and Levites in the temple of the Lord, and he gave specifications for the items in the temple that were to be used for worship. And it goes on and on and on about the plans he gives to Solomon. In verse 17, it even goes so far as David also designated the amount of gold for the solid gold meat hooks used to handle the sacrificial meat. I mean, this plan was incredibly detailed. David had clearly got with God and listened to him carefully about how this thing was going to happen. He had spent time with God to work out how what was in his heart was actually going to happen. And so for some of us here this morning, the challenge is to work out what is in my heart. For others of us, the challenge is to work out how am I going to make what is in my heart actually happen. It's all very well being in your heart, but if what's in your heart doesn't come out of your heart, no one will benefit from it. No one will grow from it. Do you have a plan? Have you written down the lessons you have learned in God so far so that your kids, the generation that come after you, don't have to learn the same lessons? They can just read, oh, these guys learned this, so, okay, brilliant, that's helpful. What else is there? How, are people going to know what you have learned, what you have walked through? 
One of the challenges is, is to get what's in our heart out. One of the things I'm doing at the moment is I'm writing uh, chapters that may or may not be a book. Um, it really, it doesn't matter. What I'm trying to do is get out of me the stuff I've learned over the last 16 years so that I can give something to some people to say, here you go, that's, that's for free. Now you work out your own stuff. What's your plan? What's your plan? Is what's in your heart going to die with you? Or is it going to be passed on to the next generation? So, we need to work out what is in our hearts and have a plan. The second thing we can learn about living with the next generations in mind is this. We've got to be radically generous. If we want to worship with the next generations in mind, it's going to take radical generosity on our part in terms of our resources, our abilities and our strengths and our money. In 1 Chronicles 29, verses 2 to 3, David is talking about the offering that he has gathered together, and he says this, Using every, every resource at my command, I have gathered as much as I could for building the temple of my God. Now there is enough gold, silver, bronze, iron, and wood, as well as great quantities of onyx, other precious stones, costly jewels, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. And now, because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This is in addition to the building materials I have already collected for his holy temple. So he talks about what he has given into this, and then he calls the leaders of Israel and says, guys, will you give as well? And then it says in verse 6, then the family leaders, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the generals and captains of the army and the king's administrative officers all gave willingly. This was a huge, huge offering. How was David able to give so sacrificially into this? Well, I think there's two reasons. Firstly, he knew it was in his heart. He had spent time with God so much about this thing, he got the plans, he got such detailed plans about what was going to happen, that when it came to it, it didn't matter what it cost him, he just needed to see it happen. Somehow. When you live with something, with such a conviction in your heart of wanting to see something, you will give to it no matter what it costs you. You will give to it no matter what it costs you if it burns in your heart. Eric Johnson puts it like this, when we are able to see what is destined to happen, it empowers us to easily pay the price for it now. When we are able to see what is destined to happen, it empowers us to easily pay the price for it now. So I think the first reason he could give so sacrificially is because it was in his heart. This was going to happen, whether he was involved in it or not, he was going to give to it. The second reason, I think, is this. David realized that everything belonged to God. David realized that everything belonged to God. In 1 Chronicles 29, verses 13 to 16, the offering's been taken, and David is just worshiping God and thanking him. This is part of his prayer. He says, Oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. 
We are here for only a moment, visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone so soon without a trace. O oh Lord our God, even this material we have gathered to build a temple to honor your holy name comes from you. It all belongs to you. Do you know, everything you own, everything I own, all my possessions, all our possessions, all our money, it all belongs to him. We have it because of his grace, but it all belongs to him. And when you understand that, it releases you, first of all, to be very thankful for what you've got, but also releases you to be really generous because it all belongs to him anyway. It's not our money, it's his. What it also means is when we are able to give generously, we don't just pat ourselves on the back of, look how generous I've been. Actually, like David, it causes us to be like, wow, how was I even able to give that amount? Thank you, Jesus. It causes us to worship him. It's amazing that I was even able to give that. Wow, God, you're so generous. You know, the things that are in our hearts to see that we want to pass on to the next generations is going to take radical generous generosity of our time, our abilities, and our money. And obviously, the truth is God is our provider. He loves to provide for his kids. And anywhere we see lack, God, we can just go to our dad and say, God, we really need breakthrough here. And he loves to provide and he loves to bring breakthrough. But actually, it's also true that often the stuff that we need finances for, that we want to see happen, God asks us to give to, to provide the finances. It's really interesting how God does that. And I, I've been on a journey of this myself over the last little while. I've just been praying a bit about giving and generosity and all that kind of stuff. And I was just spending time with Jesus and thinking about the whole concept of tithing. For those of you who don't know, tithing is, is an, uh, uh, where you give like the first 10% of your money, your income to God, to the church, to do all that God has called church to do. It's where you give your money freely to God. And um, I was just talking to God about this, and I was, I was realizing that actually tithing is an Old Testament principle. Um, it's, it's a really good place to start in terms of working out how much to give. Um, but actually in the New Testament, after Jesus came and died and rose again, actually the principle is radical generosity. The principle actually for us now in the New Covenant is radical generosity. And I would just began to pray and talk to God about it. And I was like, God, would you make us a church that is radically generous with our money? Would you, would you cause us to give really generously? Would you, you know, would you break in? I pray that we would never have to say we can't do stuff because we haven't got the money for it. I pray that you just make us really generous. And God said to me as I was praying, he said, Wendy, you do realize you're part of the solution, don't you? And uh, he said to me, he said to me, Wendy, when was the last time you asked me how much you should give to the church? <laughs> I was like, oh dear. He wasn't asking because he didn't know the answer. <laughs> um, and actually the reality is, my, my money that I give to the church comes out as direct debit once a month. The beginning of the month just goes out of my account. I don't even see it. He said to me, Wendy, when was the last time you asked me how much you should be giving? Oh, God, uh, really not, not very recently. And uh, interestingly, I realized that the way I often will work out how much to give is I start with my bank balance and my budget, which is the wrong place. The 
place to start is God and worship. And so I asked God, how much, God, do you want me to give? <laughs> and he gave me this figure, and I immediately freaked out. But I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> and, I, and I went back to my bank balance. I was like, yeah, I really don't think that's going to work out based on what's on my sheet here. And then I realized I hadn't really learned the lesson that God was trying to teach me. I was like, actually, what I've learned is if, if God asks you to give something, he has a plan to make it work. My starting point when it comes to giving has got to be God, not what's in my bank. Really must be. Who, God, what are you saying to me to give? Because whatever he asks you to give, he has a plan. So I changed my um, direct debits, and uh, God has been absolutely amazing. And uh, I probably need to ask him again, actually. It's a good provocation to me. Interestingly, a couple of months after I changed my bank uh, account, I had a message from friends who said, can you give us your bank details? We want to give you a gift. And I, I, they'd never given me anything before. I don't tend to get loads of gifts randomly. Anyway, I gave them my bank details thinking it might be a couple of hundred pounds. And they gave me a gift of a thousand pounds. Isn't that amazing? Now listen, that doesn't always happen. <laughs> Just saying, 16 years in, it's probably the first time. It doesn't always happen. And we, we don't choose to be radically generous so we can get stuff from God. And one person's radical generosity will look different to another person's radical generosity. The point I'm trying to make is we need to start with God. What is he asking you to give? What is he asking you to give? I think we want to be a church that leaves a legacy for our kids of abundance, not debt. What is he asking you to give? And then the last thing uh, we need is this. We need to prioritize prayer. We need to be a church family that prioritizes prayer. At the beginning of this preach series, Simon talked about uh, David being a man after God's own heart, and he talked about that being worship. And he unpacked the fact that actually to be a worshiper means to be a man or a woman who is obedient to God, who says yes to God. At the crux of it, that's what worship is. You say yes to God when he asks you to do stuff. Interestingly, at the end of the story, when David is coming to the end of his life, he's done this amazing um, offering, he's got stuff to give to Solomon. At the end of the prayer, he prays for the people of Israel and for his son. And this is what he prays in 1 Chronicles 29. It says, O Lord, the God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make your people always want to obey you. See to it that their love for you never changes. Give my son Solomon the wholehearted desire to obey all your commands, laws, and decrees, and to do everything necessary to build this temple for which I have made these preparations. You see what David's doing? David is praying at the end of his life for the people of Israel and for his son that they would be men and women after God's heart. There would be men and women who say yes to God. There would be men and women who are worshippers. I think David knew that if what was handed on to Solomon for free, if Solomon wasn't a man after God's own heart who would say yes to him, no matter what the cost, what he inherited for free wouldn't be taken anywhere. And Solomon wouldn't pay his own price to take it somewhere. You know, the, the same is true for us. We need to pray for ourselves, for our kids, for the generations after them, for people who are going to give their lives to Jesus in the next week, 
year, 10 years, that above everything else, they will be men and women after God's own heart. There will be men and women who say yes to God, who would obey God. And ultimately, they'd be men and women who are worshippers. That in their heart, at the core of who they are, they are worshippers. So much of the breakthrough that we're experiencing today is because of prayers that have been prayed for us by people who've gone before us. And so much of the breakthrough for the, that the next generations will step into and see happen will be a result of the prayers that we pray in our small groups, in our missional communities, at our first prayer meeting, in our own times with Jesus. Much of the breakthrough people are going to step into is because we pray for them. A guy called Mark Batterson puts it like this, praying is planting. Each prayer is like a seed that gets planted in the ground. It disappears for a season, but it eventually bears fruit that blesses future generations. Even when we die, our prayers don't. Prayer is the inheritance we receive and the legacy we leave. And actually, I think our prayers are going to be the difference between us passing on a baton that is maintained by future generations or where ground is lost and the difference between that and seeing the next generation take hold of stuff that we've won for free and then choose to pay their own price to take it further than we ever could. Our prayers are going to be what makes the difference. So I guess our question for us this morning is are we prioritizing prayer as a church family? Are you and I prioritizing prayer so the next generations can be all that God's called them to be.